This is a Visual Audio Times production. Hello and welcome to Imole, your go-to mental health, wellness and spirituality podcast. I am your host, Pelumi. Thank you for hitting play on this episode. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes. Also, follow Imole on Instagram and Twitter at Imole the Pod. Before we start today's episode, I'd like for us to calm our nerves with a short meditation exercise. Follow the sound of my voice. Breathe in slowly. Breathe out slowly. And also a topic that's very dear to my heart. And so I have a special guest with me. He used to be my counselor <laughs> and now he remains a dear friend. His name is Billy Holloway and he is the founder and lead counselor of Hidden Conversations. This journey began in 2017 when it became apparent to him that the stigma attached to certain types of conversations about mental health results or mental health issues in certain topics are being shied away from and ignored completely. He's a firm believer that words remain the most powerful tool for healing the mind. And so in 2018, he took a course in psychotherapy and counseling with the Human Givens Institute in the United Kingdom. He has the view that, you know, he's doing his part to help and heal those suffering with mental health issues and challenges in Nigeria, especially depression. And this is very, very important to him because he has also suffered with depression. And he wants to do his best to reshape the mental health landscape in Nigeria. So welcome to the show, my wonderful guest, Bile. Hello. Hi, Hello, Thank Bile. you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. We are very honored to have you here. <laughs> and I'm honored to be here. Yes. So, you know... A lot of us are familiar with consciousness. Wait, first of all, we've had this conversation a couple of times. We've just never recorded it before. And I think it's a very, very wonderful conversation I would like to share with the world. So a lot of us are familiar with the term consciousness, even though it still remains a mystery to most people. Like, what is this consciousness that everyone keeps talking about? And some of us understand it firsthand because we've been through a spiritual awakening. And this is what I'd like for you to shed light on, you know. So let's start from the beginning. I know you to be a very spiritual person, not religious at all, but very spiritual and open-minded. How did your journey start? Okay, thank you, Kwalumi. So I think that um, for me, my, my own journey really started by reflecting on my own life. Um, you know, when I was younger, I've, I've always asked, you know, the sorts of questions that you probably would never get the answers to, like, who is God? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? You know, where do we go when we die? And, you know, all those sorts of questions, right? So naturally, um, it was only 
expected that I would start trying to seek for some of the answers to those questions, right? And I would say that that probably was the beginning of my journey. Um, and it's a journey I'm still on, but I think that that was really the beginning. Um, and obviously, as I got a bit older and life became a bit more serious, I started to focus more on the mind and mental health. And, you know, like, I, you know, like we discussed earlier on before, I think in uni, I went through a few years where I was quite depressed. I wasn't really sure of what I was doing with my life. And I just felt like I was just just getting on with it, but without any sense of direction, right? So I think that further kind of, it added more fuel to my journey because now I realized that, okay, I really needed to be deliberate about how I was living, why I was living, and just basically trying to find some purpose, right? Um, I don't know if you can call it purpose, but find some meaning in life, and um, so, yeah, that, that is really the, the summary of the journey. And obviously, it, it's taken me through different, different phases, some dark places, some not so dark places. And um, I think overall, it's shaped me into who I am today. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much an overview of, of, of the journey unless you have any specific questions that you'd like me to ask. To answer. <laughs> yes. Like how did it even start? I know you said you were, you've always been asking questions from since when you were younger about, you know, where are we from? What are we doing here? Like just the typical questions that most people who have some form of consciousness from a young age ask. So I just want to know how did it start? Like what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Cause you've always, like for me, I always had all those questions, but it wasn't mm. until I went through a certain period, you know, and then I started to do some research and I started to think outside the box. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I think mm. I always mm. felt something all along, but, you know, here it is. So what was that moment for yeah. you? So I can't really think of one particular moment. Um, I think it was the sum of a lot of moments, Right little things happening at different times that kind of forced me to question, you know, my life and question reality and question life. Um, probably as early back as losing my grandmother um, from cancer. This was in 1993, you know, just attending the funeral and just looking at everything and thinking to myself that what is going on? Why are we here? Why are, we, why are we here if we have to go? And then why do we have to go after forming so many bonds and sharing so many memories and things like that? So there were different points that kind of sparked the need to, to understand, you know, myself and my consciousness. And thankfully, I was, I'd say I, I was born into a relatively open-minded family. Um, you know, my parents weren't kind of forcing religion down my throat or anything. So that gave me, that gave me the freedom, so to speak, kind of to explore and have discussions. Even till today, I have discussions with my mom about life and death and 
consciousness and things like that. So I would say that kind of that formed the building blocks of a lot of what I'm kind of standing on today. But I think that, you know, if, if I may, to guide this conversation, we need to kind of take a step back and discuss what is consciousness, right? Because it's one thing to talk about an awakening and talk about your consciousness, but we need to have a better understanding of what consciousness actually is, right, at its core. And for me, I believe that consciousness is the most divine aspect of our being, right? So it's the aspect of us that transcends time, transcends death, transcends pain, transcends everything. It is the highest level of ourself, right? And if you're a religious person, you can argue that consciousness is the aspect of God that lives in us, right? So that is how I like to look at consciousness, right? But obviously, growing up and just living and navigating the world, the consciousness gets clouded by trauma, by so many other things. So I think that the journey of awakening, really, it's not about discovering anything new. It's more about cleaning the glass, right? So that the consciousness that has always been there can actually start to shine through. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. So, yes, I do. Yeah. So this awakening for me, I don't think that there's ever a point where you can say categorically, oh, I'm awake now. Um, I think there's a continuous process of cleaning the glass and cleaning the glass. So the glass keeps getting clearer and clearer and clearer, right? And I think that that is really the work of spiritual awakening. Um, how do you, and like the name implies, spiritual awakening, you're awakening something that's already there. Um, you're not kind of adding anything or finding anything. Um, so yeah, that that is how I look at consciousness. And that is how I approach it on a day-to-day basis. You know, everything that happens in my life is is somehow adding something to my consciousness. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, it's really nice you said that because I was <laughs> I was already going to ask you what consciousness is. And you said something about continuously cleaning the glass, which is so important for me because I even just recently discovered that a lot of things I used to um, cling on to, a lot of ideas I had or ways I thought I needed to live my life. It's just, it feels like that is just not me anymore. And that consistent cleaning of the glass has been able to happen just because we've allowed it to happen, you know? So I think I was asking because I, I thought that you had maybe a certain moment whereby it was just like, oh my God, you know, you have to break free from the mold. But you said something about having an open-minded family. So for mm-hmm. on like those people who were really forced into religion, like for me, I was mostly... I always had those thoughts that were beyond what I was taught as a child. And I was always taught to be afraid to question, to be afraid to doubt, to be afraid to 
basically think logically about certain things. And mm. it was, it just got to a point that I had to break from that mold. And that's what I think for, I think the spiritual awakening um, process is a continuous process, right? But for some people, they have that pivotal moment or time in their lives that they just become completely different. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's mm. one of the reasons why I say it's very important to like nurture free thoughts in children because for you, mm. it was always nurtured. So it wasn't like there was a big, you know, tower moment in your life that everything just came crashing down. Exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, with the whole concept of spiritual awakening, I think that it's something that when you start to feel the need to awaken, that is usually a turning point. So it's the desire that first comes before anything else. And that desire is triggered by so many factors and everyone's journey is different. For some people, it may be a loss in the family. For some people, it may be a loss in status. Some people, it may be the birth of a child. Some people, it could be they relocated to a different environment. Everyone's catalyst is different. Um, and I think that the most important thing is really to recognize the catalyst when it presents itself. Because a lot of times we are confronted by the need to awaken, but because of fear, we sometimes postpone or procrastinate and say, yeah, I want to start this thing, but you know what, I'm doing so much right now with this project, or there's so much going on with family, there's so much going on. And the longer we fight that desire, once it's kind of there, the more uncomfortable we become. We start to feel almost guilty. Um, and that's what I find, or that's what I found, that the times when I wasn't actively seeking, there was a level of guilt I felt because I knew that that was what I was meant to be doing, right? And the times when I'm kind of diving into different things, reading about Buddhist philosophy, reading the Tao Te Ching, reading different, you know, I, I feel so fulfilled in that moment because I feel like even if I died right now, I'm doing 100% what my spirit wants to do, right? So I think, I think it's, um, it's a different, you know, the journey is different for, for everyone. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's nice when people can talk about their journeys and kind of find commonalities give each other kind of tips, coping mechanisms, and um, exchange information. Because one thing is no one has all the answers and um, no one has ever had all the answers. Consciousness only awakens by rubbing on other consciousness, um, either through books, talking to people, experiencing people, and things like that. So consciousness needs consciousness to awaken, right? And that's the paradox. You can't awaken in isolation. So even if you decide to go off into the mountains somewhere, whatever awakening you feel will further be heightened when you start interacting with people. You see what I mean? And that is really the fuel that, that kind of propels you onwards. Yeah, that's very true. You can't... You really can't awaken in isolation. You can't do anything in isolation, even life. You know, there are always those like films that we watch that imagine if you were the last person alive on earth and life is always so miserable for that person. 
know what I mean? You think it's to be bliss because you wouldn't have to deal with certain things, but you can't. We are social creatures, so we always need humans to interact with. And you said something about um, Eastern philosophy. I mean, I also am a fan of Taoism a lot. And I know you've talked about like Buddhist philosophy with me several times. So what what um, drew you into that a lot more? Because you have different philosophies, you know, different schools of thought. But why are you so drawn to it? Yeah, so I think that um, I'll just I'll just give a, a, a bit of a background. So as much as I was born into an open-minded family, um, my family would describe themselves as Christians. Um, so at the same time, there were things within Christianity that I I wouldn't say I didn't agree with, but left so many unanswered questions. And I just didn't feel that the stories and the metaphors resonated deeply enough with me. Now, as time went on, um, you know, I also kind of experienced African tradition, which is Ifa, and understanding our culture and just how it shapes us as, as people. So that also opened me up more than Christianity did because I felt like I was returning to my true source as far as what my ancestors believed in and my bloodline and the fact that maybe thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, someone that I was related to was practicing this very religion. And I resonated with that. Now, Buddhism came into the picture when I was in uni and I started kind of pivoting more towards mental health and understanding the mind, right? And for me, it was the only philosophy that I was presented with that kind of pointed inwards rather than outwards, right? So with Christianity, there was this, there's the concept of, you know, Jesus saving you, right? And once again, you have to give your life to Christ, which implies that Christ is outside of you. Um, you know, the same thing with even Yoruba tradition, when you talk about the Orishas and everything, they were always outside of you. But with Buddhism, it was the only thing that I could see that pointed the light back inside and kind of challenged me to understand the nature of mind right? With meditation and mindfulness and things like that. And I resonated with that for some reason. Um, it really stuck with me. And um, although I wouldn't describe myself as a Buddhist, like I said earlier on, I would definitely say that my way of thinking has been heavily influenced by Buddhist principles. Um, one of my favorite things to read in the whole world is the Tao Te Ching. Um, it was written by Lao Tzu. And that really is one of the pivotal literatures in Zen Buddhism, right? And every now and then, regardless of what's going on in my life, I always find myself going back to read it, you know, just just to, you know, unwind and just keep my keep myself centered, right? And then another thing that interested me about Buddhism was the whole concept of suffering, right? Because 
you know, one of the first noble truth in Buddhism is there is suffering, right? And when you look at the world, that is such a such an honest statement. Yes, there's joy, there's there's happiness, there's all those things, but there's also a lot of suffering. Whether it's external suffering or internal suffering caused by our own imagination or whatever. So for me, I was like, okay, these guys are onto something because I'm, I'm resonating with a lot of their, their principles here, you know. And, you know, to build on that, it now puts the context of understanding your, your own suffering and finding meaning in it, right? Because suffering is only tolerable when you can find meaning in it. It's like you're studying for an exam, as painful as it is, you want to go out, you want to do all those things. The meaning is the sacrifice that you're putting in because you want to excel. So the suffering becomes tolerable. Or if you're, you're training for a marathon or something and you have to go to the gym, you have to watch your diet, you have to, all that suffering. The meaning again is, okay, this is why I'm doing it, right? It's the same with life. The suffering of life becomes tolerable only when we find a reason for it. And for me, the reason is for the elevation of consciousness, right? Without suffering, we wouldn't be able to wake up, right? So it's like having a bad dream. If you're having a dream and you're, in a, you're on a beach somewhere and you're sipping cocktails and the weather's perfect and everything is just you probably may never wake up from that dream, right? Because the dream becomes blissful. But the minute you introduce some suffering into the dream, you instinctively force yourself to try and wake up, right? And that's how you jump out of bed. So for me, that is the equivalent of suffering here. Suffering is to kind of jolt us into waking up, into that spiritual awakening, right? And um, so, yeah, that's one of the reasons that Buddhism really, um, I really, you know, I hold it dear to my heart. Yeah, talking about the Tao Te Ching, like, I, I really, really love Taoism, like just the philosophy of Taoism, the way um, going in accordance, just allowing things to happen, the path of least resistance. It is something that just resonated with me so much because growing up, I was always kind of taught that, oh, life is a struggle and you always have to do this and do that. And I noticed that when I just started to allow things to be and just, how do I say, make peace with the things that just weren't clicking at that time, I felt like my happiness or my peace of mind was just on a whole nother level. And I don't think you can ever put a price on peace of mind. Truth is, Absolutely. even um, Ifa, yeah, even within the Ifa pantheon, right? Because I also study that and I've also been studying a bit of the Odinani, which is the Igbo um, cosmology. You will notice that when people dig deeper beyond the religion, there's always an exoteric and esoteric, which is something that's more, um, um, how do I say, more visible and then something else that is within. So with the esoteric meaning of Ifa, they always tell you that the um, Orishas are aspects of you as well. And I really did not know this because at first I actually just believed that people were just worshipping 
the Orishas. And it's true, some people are. But then again, they are archetypes, right? And all human beings have certain stories. And some stories that people have will go in line with the Orishas. That's why in some Patakis, you hear that Shungo did this, that, and the third. And in another one, you hear another thing. And it's like, it's showing you different perspectives of the same situation. And like what you said with Buddhism, it just points the light back because even with, um, in like, how do you say spirituality, there's something called the Christ consciousness. And that is seen, like, I'm sure you know that, that is seen Christ from the level of like a consciousness that you can attain as opposed to a force that is external. Yeah, what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and the thing is, I think that when you immerse yourself in different philosophies, what starts to happen is your mind automatically starts to connect the dots, right? So if you look at the concept of Christ consciousness, in Buddhism, it is the concept of Buddha consciousness, right? And the central premise of Buddhism is that you are Buddha, I am Buddha, we are Buddha, right? Buddha is a state of mind. And the whole journey of spiritual awakening is to reawaken your Buddha consciousness, right? And even with Ifa, Yoruba philosophy, the most potent determinant factor in a person's life, the most important Orisha, is their own Ori. And when you see the context that Ori is used, Ori means head in Yoruba. You can also argue that Ori means consciousness, right? So at the end of the day, we have three different philosophies that all point to the same thing, consciousness, right? So that is why I, I try and view, I try and view religions as a ladder, right? So if you have a ladder and you want to climb from one place to another place, once you've climbed up, you don't climb, you don't take the ladder with you, right? It's like using a boat to cross from one place to another place. Once you've crossed, you leave the boat or you push the boat back, right? To go and get other people and you continue on your own journey. So for me, I think all religions are metaphors. Um, religious arguments are completely a waste of time. Um, they're just speaking about the same thing from different perspectives and different languages and different history and different characters. But at the core, every spiritual practice is for the elevation of consciousness. That is all it's for, right? And that's how I like to view the world because it makes you much more tolerable, um, you know, and you you start to realize that there really is a singularity behind everything. So if I find myself in China and I have a Buddhist friend and he invites me to the Buddhist temple, I'll go with him. I don't feel that it's in conflict with anything. If I go to the Amazon and there's a shaman that wants us to dance around a tree because he believes the tree somehow blesses them, I'll do it. I don't I don't have any I don't have any of those spiritual reservations. Clearly if they're things that conflict with my own conscience, right? Then I may draw the line. But overall, I think it's all connected. 
You're very right. It is. Like you said, with um, religious arguments are a waste of time because even a lot of things that we hold so dear, that I think in religious texts, they are allegorical, you know, and and I, I feel like people, it's just that journey within is not always as easy to take. You get what I mean? It's usually we are very focused on the external and the world around us enables us to, or forces us to focus on the external because we are always just trying to survive, you know? So what That's advice right. will you give to someone who has been, especially someone in Nigeria or West Africa or Africa as a whole, who has been like, you know, has had this thing, this pull, this nudge of there is more, there is more, and they don't really know how to go about exploring it, or maybe they are too afraid to break the rules, <clears throat> excuse me, quote unquote rules of their religion or go against what their family would like. So what kind of advice would you give to that person? So what, what I would say is the first thing is, your consciousness has incarnated into the part of reality that it needs to incarnate, meaning there's a reason why you have been born into this part of the world. There's a reason why you were born to that particular family. I don't think consciousness just enters reality randomly, right? So it means that already from the get-go, your consciousness is where it wants to be. Now, I don't believe that for you to awaken spiritually, you have to burn everything around you and kind of destroy the relationship you have with your parents and things like that. I believe that there is a way to somehow merge the two. The most important work is the work that you do inside, right? So it's not about becoming rebellious and you know, having arguments about church and why you don't want to go to church and things like that. Because you find that that tends to do more harm than good, even for your spiritual awakening. So just as the Zen principle of taking the path of least resistance, just allow yourself to flow with everything that's happening around you, right? Try and understand the things happening around you from a deeper level. Because even your parents are also on a journey, right? They too are on their journey of consciousness. So you need to also approach that with some compassion, right? And try and navigate the two worlds. A point always comes where you will become more independent and able to you know, assert certain things. But you also don't want to rush that, right? Because that's always counterproductive, you know? So my advice would be allow yourself to flow, pursue knowledge, you know, talk to people, be deliberate about expanding your consciousness. You know, the internet is the greatest tool for the elevation of consciousness. And that is why perhaps the people behind it have become so rich because with that single tool, there is no longer any excuse, right? The resources that are available. It's not like the old days where you had to have a book about Buddhism or Ifa that you're, that you're hiding, your parents may see the book, or you don't want to carry this book to church in case someone sees it. Now everything is on your phone, right? 
So you also have to be smart about how you acquire knowledge, you know. And the most important thing is to remember that the elevation of your consciousness does not necessarily have to come with you burning the bridge to the past. If you can navigate the two, I believe that you will be in a much, much better position. So that would be my advice, you know. Respect the past, um, give it its due, avoid conflict, but at the same time, find time for your own for your own studies, for your own, you know, conversations and things like that. It's like having two jobs. It's like having a job and having a side business, right? A point comes where you need that job to survive, but your side business is really is really your passion. If you resign impulsively, you throw yourself into unnecessary hardship. So nurture your side business to the point where you yourself have developed and you're stronger and you can stand before you take that step. It's the same thing I would apply for spiritual awakening. That's actually very insightful, you know, not burning bridges because a lot of people at first when like they wake up, they realize, oh, so this is not true. This is not the path. And it just becomes a very, very crazy time in their life because they are now trying to educate everybody around them and trying to force other people to quote unquote no, wake no, up, no, which they didn't ask you no. to, which is not even the way, in my opinion, because like you said, everyone is on their own journey and this is your yeah. journey and it's okay. And one thing that has helped me in my own, on my own path is this is my journey and it's okay for me to believe something different or think differently from other people. And it's also okay for them to have the beliefs Absolutely. and then the thought patterns that they have because it's their path. Absolutely. You know, I feel, yeah. So I feel like everyone Absolutely. is going to wake up in their own time. Some people believe in um, reincarnation. I just wanted you to just touch on that because having you here, I want to touch yeah. on as many things as yeah. possible. Yeah, so I'm, I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy I just wanted to. So before we go into reincarnation, yeah, yeah. Before we go to reincarnation, I just wanted to touch on something you said. You know, so there is a there's a there's a general tendency to want people to believe what we believe in. Um, the reason is because we we somehow derive strength in people reinforcing our belief system. Whereas in reality, it shouldn't even matter, right? So if I support Manchester United, I want everyone to support Manchester United. So I'm arguing about how they're the best team. If I'm vegan, I want you to be vegan. So I argue about how meat is bad. If I'm this, I want it to be that. It's human nature, right? But with spiritual practice and spiritual awakening, it is such a personal thing that no two people need to have the same perspective when it comes to spirituality. It's the same way you and I have different handwritings. We can write the same thing, right? But your handwriting is different from mine because your handwriting is unique to you and mine to me, right? So that's how I view spirituality. As long as, and I always put a clause, right? As long as your spiritual practice does not kind of interfere with my morality in the sense that obviously there are certain spiritual practices or certain perspectives that you may be against 
right? Someone decided that there was a spiritual practice that they had to kill children, for example, right? I believe that we're morally obligated to also balance out spirituality with reason and conscience at any given time. But in the absence of those disparities, I believe we should try and accommodate each other because that's the only way we can truly learn. There are things I've learned from Christians that perhaps understand Christianity better than I do. And I believe that the things I have taught Christians because of my understanding and my own journey, right? So I think it's always a case of iron sharpeneth iron, right? So that is that. Now, as far as reincarnation goes, um, I 100% believe in reincarnation. Um, I have no shadow of doubt in my mind that reincarnation is real. Um, for, for various reasons, apart from the fact that different, you know, different religions speak about it, you know, the Buddhists talk about it, you know, the cycle of birth, death and rebirth, and the Yorubas talk about it as far as Babatunde, Yetunde, Abiku, and things like that. So for me, I don't think anything, you know, exists in religion or spirituality without some level of truth, right? So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing, the second reason I believe in it is because even in my life, I feel that my physical age and my spiritual age are completely different, right? And I believe that different people's consciousnesses have different ages, so I believe you have infant consciousness, you have middle-age consciousness, and you have ancient consciousness, right? So the ancient consciousness are people that their consciousness has incarnated into reality over thousands and thousands of lifetimes, right? So in a sense, the consciousness carries that experience and knowledge. The same way some people have infant consciousness, the consciousness is relatively new in reality, it's a bit more restless and trying to figure things out, right? So that knowledge for me or that theory is really how I view reincarnation. I don't think that when we die, it's as straightforward as, okay, you die and you just go to a place and that's it. I think that the spiritual work that we have to do, you can't escape it. So even if you decide for any reason to end your own life. I believe you just get sent straight back into the construct. There's no escaping. You can't cheat the universe, right? And I believe that the whole point of spiritual awakening is to get to a point where you don't come back because your consciousness no longer vibrates at the same frequency of reality. So you can't even come back if you wanted to, right? You know, and then there are arguments for that. Perhaps even if you do choose to come back, it's not out of necessity. It's more out of compassion because you look back at reality and decide that, you know what, I need to enter reality again so I can help people get out, right? But yeah, I, I definitely believe in reincarnation. So this is like, so it's safe to say that you don't necessarily believe in the conventional heaven or hell or um, 
You know what I mean? Like going to a bad place after. So because people will ask you, so what about those people who do bad things? So will you say you believe they're reincarnate and they experience or, or they become the victims of the crimes that they perpetrated in their past lives? Like, do you believe in that philosophy, karma? So, yeah, so I, I, believe, in, I believe in karma, definitely. I, I believe that the universe has its laws. The universe has laws that, that just... They just are, regardless of whether you believe in them or not, right? Now, when we're talking about heaven and hell, I believe that even in the earliest texts, heaven and hell were introduced as metaphors. I don't think that the thinkers or the spiritual guys that wrote those books ever intended for us to believe that they were actual physical or spiritual places that the consciousness goes to. Now, the same way your consciousness can animate a nightmare just by you sleeping is the same way your consciousness can animate hell, right? And I believe that while we are alive, by our incarnation in matter, the ability for the consciousness to manifest is diminished because we are incarnated but at the point of death, when that connection is completely severed, the consciousness now has the full autonomy and can create, you can call it a pseudo heaven or a pseudo hell, because in the interim between death and rebirth, there has to be something going on, right? I don't believe it happens immediately, now, I believe that when you've lived your life in truth, you've lived your life with certain ethics and you've lived your life, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to use the word good because good is subjective. But if you've lived your life with compassion, I believe that at the point of death, your consciousness intrinsically has peace and it cannot manifest hell because the consciousness uses its frequency for what it wants to manifest. But if you've lived your life and you've killed, you've cheated people, you've just done all those things, while you're living, your conscience is carrying those things. You're not at peace, whether you pretend to be at or not, right? So at the point of death, all those things just spill out. And that is the hell that your consciousness will create for you. So that's, that for me is the metaphor, right? It still comes down to consciousness. I don't think that there is this place where, you know, all evildoers have gone to and there's another place where all people that have done good because good and evil are all subjective at the end of the day, right? Just the same way I don't believe that there is this entity responsible for making sure we do evil things, right? You know, they call it the devil, Lucifer, whatnot. I, I don't believe that there is a singular entity. I believe that the devil is you. Your own ego is the devil that manifests in your life, right? And at any given time, it's that ego that drives us to do the things that we're not proud of. Because if you think of every single thing that people do, right, that we call evil, it's all connected to ego. Right. You know, so that's how I view the world, you know, and that's how I view this thing and this journey I'm on. And for me, it works.
I resonate so much with like what you're saying. It's, it really is very, very big for me in terms of like even reincarnation and all, because there's so many philosophers throughout time. If even if you go down to ancient Babylonian Sumerian text, you do see a lot of like evidence or um, the, the teaching of reincarnation. And that is prevalent across cultures, you know, across the globe. So mm-hmm. um, how has you, I know you, you opened up about struggling with depression, you know, and that's what influenced you to um, go down the path that you're on now, being a psychotherapist and counselor. So will you say your spirituality has helped or will you say your spirituality helped with your depression or helped you deal with depression while you were going through it? I think it's the other way around. I think my depression helped with my spirituality. Um, because it triggered my spirituality. That, yeah, I would say I would say it triggered it and it made me become more introspective and just you know, it it really made me question who I was or who I am as a person, you know, and you can't really begin a spiritual journey without asking yourself, who am I, right? Um, I think that's the first question because without you, there is no, there's no journey. Um, so, yeah, so I think that the, 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 the darkness kind of influenced the spirituality and I'm grateful for it. I, I don't think that darkness exists for no reason. Um, and with psychotherapy and, you know, talking to people, coping with the depression and stuff like that, I'm a firm believer that you can't really help people navigate through darkness without an intimate understanding of it yourself. I think it's very tricky, um, because without an understanding of it, you're speaking down to the people rather than talking with them. Um, you know, it's like someone it's like someone giving you advice about drugs and they've never tried drugs. Or someone telling you about, you know, I don't know. It's difficult when you've never been immersed in it. So if someone came to me and was talking to me about not doing drugs and they told me they were an addict and now they've recovered and this was what happened to them... I would resonate more with the story and the person's journey than somebody telling me about drugs and they've never, ever tried drugs, right? So for me, I think that's the same thing with darkness. I think that to heal people's minds, you have to be a student of darkness. And you yourself have to have a relationship with it. I don't think it's something you can ever just leave, right? But the only thing that changes is you now know how to navigate in and out of it. Whereas before you were stuck in it. Now you can go into it like an office and come back out when you're done rather than going to it like you're in a well and struggle to climb out. That's a very profound answer (laughs) because having dealt with depression myself, it's easier for me now to counsel people and even to have this podcast where I have people come and talk about certain things. So, and my own spiritual awakening also started after I went through like, or was going through a very, very heavy bout of depression. Like it was, 
it was just this void that I was in and it forced me to seek more and also forced me to explore and ask, keep, just keep asking myself those questions that never left my mind. So, um, with what I've seen so far, and even right now in my journey, because I'll say my quote unquote conscious journey started in 2017 or late 2016. But even right now, I realize that the me- happiness means something different to me completely now than it did at that time. Because even at that time, up until like 2019, I still struggled with like heavy depression, 2019, 2020. And it wasn't until maybe last year that I felt like I started to feel very good. You know what I mean? And right mm-hmm. now, especially this year, I've seen a lot of people, um, a lot of famous people that I don't know personally or popular people online take their own lives. And a lot of these people look like they have their lives together on paper, on Instagram, at least they do. What will you say mm-hmm. is the definition of happiness to you? Because I know it's different to everyone, but what is happiness to you? Okay. So um, I I like this question because I think it touches on something that a lot of people also kind of are trying to figure out. So to me, happiness is a transient emotion. It's the same way certain things make you angry, certain things make you happy. Certain things make you sad. Certain things make you happy. They're quite fleeting, right? So they come and go. For me, I think for any spiritual awakening or for any spiritual work, the aim should be peace of mind. That's a completely different thing. So happiness is like the cloud. Peace of mind is the sky. The cloud comes and goes depending on the situation. Someone gives you money, you're happy. Someone takes money away from you, you're sad, right? But the real question is, what is the background to the happiness or the sadness? And I find that that is more lasting, right? So you can get your life to a point where, regardless of what is happening, regardless of the emotions you're experiencing, you see them as clouds that come and go. This too shall pass, right? You're happy, this too shall pass. You're sad, this too shall pass. But when these emotions pass, what are you left with? And that is why I believe that the aim of a person that wants to truly awaken should be peace of mind and not happiness. Happiness is built on externalities. Peace of mind is internal. And that is more sustainable. Wow. Can I use this line? You said happiness is the cloud, peace of mind is the sky. Can I use that in like a song or poem or something? Can you give me permission to use that? Because that is very, very profound. (laughs) Thank you. Because I know earlier before I started, before we started recording, I did tell you that um, following like 2019, when we used to talk a lot more, that I'm a lot happier now. And I think what I meant was I have peace of mind. Like I'm not in mm. the same hostile situations that I was in at that time. And it's just that peace mm. of mind is like, it's something you really can't put a price on. And I and when I realized I, I was there was when I was having a tough time, just like stuff was just going on in that moment, right? And I was trying to think of where to get money from and where to get this, that, and that. 
And then I thought to myself, I was like, imagine if you were going through this two years ago, the thought of suicide would have popped into your head or three years ago. And now it's like, you're not even depressed about it. You know, it's going to come and go. And in that moment, it was like, I was conscious of myself within that moment. And I was just so grateful at how far I'd come. And Absolutely. I was thinking, oh, maybe I'm happier now, but you're right. It's peace. peace. It's just that peace of mind. It's like, it's something that mm-hmm. you can't really just put a price on. And I feel like that exactly. is this because 5D consciousness that people talk about. Because when people talk about awakening and we, in the spiritual community, they talk about a different level of consciousness that's like the fifth dimension or whatever it is. I think what that is, is just being at peace with oneself. It's that inner stillness, that inner calmness, you know, that Absolutely. that really just, Absolutely. you can't put a price on. Yeah. Absolutely. That That is everything. And I think that the more we pursue happiness, the further away from us it goes. Because you, you can't pursue something that's based on situational things, right? Naturally, you will be thrust in so many types of situations in your life. There are times you will have money. There are times you will not. There are times you will find love. There are times you will lose love. There are times you will have a relative that's ill. There are times when you may have no one in your life that's particularly ill. So there's so many things moving around you, right? But what I do find is that that peace and acceptance really is your firewall for when life gets tough. Because regardless of what you encounter, you will always be able to tap into that peace of mind and know that, you know what, this will pass, regardless of what you're going through. Because on the journey of consciousness, you will go through so many situations. You will go through different types of climate, different types of darkness, different types of lights, different types of, you name it, right? So you need to have a North Star. You need to have a foundation, right? If not, you will be pulled and pushed depending on your situation, right? And it won't be possible to find stillness, you know? And when you talk about suicide and you talk about mental illness and everything, I'm a firm believer that the mind is sometimes its own enemy, right? Because when you think of all the emotions and the transient state of feelings and things, a lot of that exists at the level of the mind. But when you think of peace of mind, ironically, that is more at the level of consciousness, right? So at any given time, when you are pushed to the wall in life, if you believe you are your mind, then there is nowhere for you to escape to. But if you believe that I am not my mind, but rather I am my consciousness, whenever the mind gets turbulent or the mind gets to a point, you take a break into consciousness and you become the observer of your own mind. So it's like you're watching your thoughts come and go, right? So you you kind of get into this transient dreamlike state where I know I'll be fine. This is just a film I'm watching. I'm not the actor in the film. I'm just watching the film. And I think that is the greatest tool to help your mental health. 
Yeah, so you're not... And I think that is consciousness, actually. Realizing that you are not the situation. You are the observer of the situation. You are not the person that's in the situation. You are the observer of everything. And I feel like that can be achieved through meditation, just slowing down your mind. And even sometimes listening to your own thoughts and questioning them and wondering why do I think this and I feel like that was like a big point in certain psychological breakthroughs for me even when it came to just romantic relationships like why do I always believe that this is going to happen where did this belief come from yeah that's it that's it and it's very important that even when you're listening to your own mind you do it with compassion right because you don't want to become overly critical of your own thoughts, right? So it's like, I'm happy you mentioned meditation because I think I think we'll just touch on that briefly. So it's like when you're trying to meditate, right? The, the whole point of meditation really is to find the space between thoughts, right? Now, when you first start meditating, the thoughts become more rapid, you know, that's when you decide, ah, maybe I want to drink water. There's an itch in your back. Or you start thinking of something you're meant to do. Or you start thinking, ah, this meditation thing is so pretentious. What am I even doing? The mind will do that, right? But you have to just sit it out, right? Gradually, gradually, with time and with practice and with discipline, you'll be able to make the space between the thoughts grow longer and longer, Right? And then with time, eventually, you'll be able to sit down and quickly get into that space, right? So with everything is practice. I don't think anyone is born, you know, this mental health guru or this, you know, yogi that can just sit down and, you know, meditate for four hours. No, we're naturally restless. There's nothing wrong with that. But you even need to view that restlessness with compassion and understanding and say, well, you know what? Some days I meditate for 30 minutes. Today I only, I could only do 10 minutes. It's not the end of the world, right? So you have to view that with compassion also. Like what you just said now is something that they call amor fati. I don't know if you've heard of this phrase. It's becoming or being the lover of one's fate, you know, of things that are happening in one's life. Just that acceptance. Like you said, Normally I meditate for 30 minutes, but but today I can only do 10 minutes and you don't beat yourself up for it. Like that is, yeah, it just takes a lot of self-awareness and compassion for oneself. Yeah. And it's hard to get there Absolutely. because growing up, a lot of us were always told, you're not doing this. You're not good enough. Society tells you you're not good enough. You're taught, told by parents, by teachers, by peers, like this is not good enough. You need to do this. So there's always that constant pressure of, am I doing this yeah. right? Like even because, you know, you know, I do like tarot readings and stuff and I give people advice on like spirituality and then they'll come to me. I'm like, am I doing this right? And I'm like, who do you think I am to tell you what you're doing right or wrong? I can't be the judge of your own story. You have to realize, does it resonate with you? You know, are you trusting your intuition? And that's just how you have to go, because there is no like you said, there is no is, there's no one particular book that tells you this is your journey and your journey has to be like this. There's no manual. For it. It's just yeah. you figure it out and Absolutely. you create your own story. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that I think that in, in creating that story, right, we always have to remember that we are all coping with something called the human condition, 
right? You're not meant to be perfect. You're meant to be true. Two different things, right? And at the end of the day, you need to be able to accept yourself with your imperfections to the point where you don't even view them as imperfections. You view them as part of who you are. Because every single thing that is a weakness is somehow part of who you are. So you may say, oh, I'm too sensitive, or I'm too this, I'm too that. But if you look at the journey in your life, there are times where that very weakness has been to your advantage, right? And that is how I try and view life and my journey in the sense that I'm always a work in progress. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to move forward and I'm trying, right? And you have to give yourself points for trying. I think that the, the current mental health crisis around the world is caused by so many false narratives floating around, you know, that people just take on, you know, the quest for perfection. You have to be a business guru. You have to be a supermodel. You have to have six pack. You have to have a G-Wagon. You have to be perfect. You have to fly private jet. You have to be, it's, at the end of the day, you need to come to a point where you step away from all that and ask yourself, what is truly important to me, right? You know, I'll give you a good example. You know, a lot of times they're like, oh, never quit, never quit, never quit, don't give up. No, there are times in your life where you should not beat yourself up for quitting. There is no situation there's nobody, there's nothing that you should not be able to quit on if you choose to. The only thing you should never quit on is yourself, right? Because everything else is a variable, right? So you need to also have that ability to find peace in that also. There's so many people that are depressed because they're stuck on decisions they've made in the past, and there's so many people that are anxious because they don't have confidence in their own future, right? So you now ask yourself, at what point do you come back to the present and assess your life based on what actually is, right? And a lot of people don't do that. You're so busy worried about what you could have done or what you're going to do that you don't appreciate what you currently have and what you're currently doing. So how can you do it well, right? So for me, I just think that this whole mental health thing, this whole mindfulness thing, this whole self-awakening is becoming more and more important in the world because we see that more and more people, especially young people, are getting depressed, taking their own life, turning to substance abuse, you know. And that is really why conversations like this are so important. And that's why when you asked me to be on this, I gladly I would do this anytime you know because I think that this is really what we should be doing for each other as human beings we're all on this journey called life if I can say something to make someone's journey a little bit easier why not and vice versa if someone can say something to me to make my journey a bit easier why not hmm that is profound. You said, <laughs> saying if you can do something to make someone's journey easier, why not? I mean, what you said about all the false narratives, you have to be perfect. You have to be this. You have to be that. 
It's like even something that I found myself divorcing this year in terms of just like, because, you know, I was in this state whereby I was at peace. I was happy. I was doing what I wanted to be doing. And then there was just this nagging voice. Oh, you should be doing more. You should be doing more of this, more of that. And it's true. I do believe in hard work and I've always pushed myself very, very hard. But I even had to stop to ask myself, like these things that I think I should be doing, am I really happy doing them? Do they fulfill me? Or am I just doing them because people have told me that I should be doing them and it looks like I'm going to gain respect from people when I indulge in these things. And that was just such a profound moment for me, like accepting where you are, regardless of how it looks like to the world. Yes, you don't have a certain amount of money in your bank account, but that doesn't mean that you can't cherish what you have and be happy. I know it's easier said than done, but when people have been through depression and then they learn to appreciate just peace of mind and little things, it becomes easier to understand. That's very true. So I know I've taken enough of your time today. Are there any like closing remarks that you just like to leave us with? We'll definitely continue this conversation some other time. But for today, do you have, you know, any closing statements, anything you would like to impact into us before you leave? Well, I, I think just to kind of sum it up um, to anyone that's on the journey of becoming more conscious, you know, keep at it. You know, stay on the road, just be compassionate with yourself, with other people, and just, you know, find meaning in in your own life. Um, I think that's the greatest anchor for consciousness. Um, find purpose. And as much as possible, try and pour yourself into the world. Um, and, and I think that that will definitely go a long way. So, yeah, I think that's 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 it. Yes. And please tell us where we can find you, like your social media handles, your website, you know, more about your company as well. Yes. So Hidden Conversations, um, our Instagram page is at Hidden Conversations, all one word. The website is www.myhiddenconversations.com. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Same thing with Facebook, Hidden Conversations. Um, So follow Follow the page, share it with your friends and comment, you know, let's have these discussions and let's try and get, you know, this, this movement, let's try and get it off the ground. Let's normalize these sorts of discussions and let's, let's break the taboo element around talking about the mind and mental health. Yes, definitely. Because that's definitely something I'm also devoting a lot of my time and even life to at this point. And you know, we just really have to end this. Like we have to end the whole tabooness behind it. Thank you so much, Bile, for coming and having this wonderful discussion with us. I'm sure you'll be back sometime. Well, until Absolutely. then, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imole. Please make sure you rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your episodes. You can also send me emails about today's episode or anything related to mental health and spirituality through 
fanmail at imolethepod.com. Finally, please subscribe to the Imole newsletter to learn more about our episodes through the link in the episode notes. Thank you and see you on the next episode. This episode was produced by Aisha Salaudin, audio mixed by Lord Phil, and is distributed by Visual Audio Times. For more podcasts, visit visualaudiotimes.com.